He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who were last will be first and some who are first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace that allows us to enter in. For your body and your blood that were given to open up a way for sinners like us to God. So that the misfits and the outsiders and the people no one thought would be there could be first in your kingdom at your table. Uh, Jesus, this morning, would you help each of us to hear your words? Would you keep familiarity and distraction and even the thoughts of our flesh from playing defense against what you desperately want us to hear, that we would make sure that we make it into the kingdom of God by your grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You don't want to be the person to miss the boat. Uh, last night, Precious and I uh, stumbled upon a genre on YouTube, people who do not heed the warnings on their cruise ship voyage, uh, that when you go on a land excursion, there's an appointed time at which the cruise ship will depart, and that will happen whether you are there or not. One particular example, there was a family on board the cruise ship, uh, the father with the children is coming anxious because his wife has not returned from her shopping trip. He's standing at the door to the boat. What should he do? Should he stay with his kids and their relatives, or should he go find his wife? Well, eventually he does a chivalrous thing. He gets off the boat, goes looking for her. Our passengers are filming the whole thing, cheering them on. Come on, guys, you can make it. They get on a golf cart, and it's driving pedal to the metal. Got to get back. They're 30 minutes past the departure time. They're not going to wait any longer. And in an agonizing moment, the ship pulls away just as they make it to the dock. And it's too late. They've missed their opportunity. They didn't make it because they will leave without you. It's true. Now, it's high, high stakes to miss out on a leg of the journey or maybe even the whole trip of a cruise. But this morning, Jesus is going to warn us about something that's even higher stakes than that, something with eternal consequences. 
It's going to warn us that we, above all else, must not miss out making it into the kingdom of God. There are many that will assume that because they are close to Jesus or familiar with religion, that surely they will make it in. Yet on Judgment Day, there will be many who will be rudely surprised and even in for an endless series of sorrows. Because according to Jesus, if you don't enter in while there's time, one day it'll be too late. Uh, This morning, that's what we're going to see in three points. Those three points are as follows. First, the agonizing difficulty of entering the kingdom of God. Verses 22 through 24, the agonizing difficulty. Second, the pressing urgency of entering the kingdom of God in 25 through 28. The pressing urgency. And third, the shocking diversity for those who enter the kingdom of God in verses 29 through 30. Shocking diversity of those who enter. And in all of this, Jesus' main message to us is this simple. Don't miss making it into the kingdom of God. So again, in that first section, the agonizing difficulty of entering the kingdom in 22 through 24. We are on the road journey. Jesus and his disciples are making their way step by step closer and closer to his main mission, what must happen in Jerusalem. And along the way, on this road trip, there have been a series of encounters that Jesus and some crowds and his disciples have had, clarifying what God is doing, and most importantly, how we must respond. Uh, Lately, there's been a drumbeat, the last few passages, about the coming judgment and being ready for that by responding to Jesus in repentance and faith. Uh, Jesus has been warning, it's like settling up with an accuser before you get to the courtroom. It's like a tree that has one last season to bear fruit. Otherwise, it will get chopped down. The opportunities to repent are vanishing. And so it's all the more important to respond while you can. Well, because of this drumbeat of judgment, uh, I think that maybe this next encounter comes from some people that want to get Jesus onto some more positive topics. We're told in verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, on the surface, that may sound to you like a kind of a downer question to ask. I mean, how many people are going to miss out on heaven, Jesus? But you have to understand that there was an assumption that the vast majority of religious people in that day, in that place, would have had. Uh, The Jews believed that virtually all of us will be saved. We have writings from rabbis of various sorts, and they basically have the same understanding of what was going to happen on the final day. When the kingdom of God arrived, if you were part of the nation of Israel, if you were Jewish by heritage, then virtually all of you would be saved. Uh, There'd be a few minor exceptions, uh, maybe the mass murderers or the extremely bad idolaters of the bunch, but for the most part, you could assume if you're one of us, if you're around us, then surely you'll be with us in the coming kingdom of God. 
So with that assumption, this question is trying to elicit from Jesus the old favorite song that the people of Israel love to hear. Tell us about how great we are. Tell us about how great it's going to be when we're on the inside and everyone else is on the outside. Uh, but if you know anything about Jesus, if someone comes asking him a question, Jesus doesn't play according to their rules. Very often he turns their question in a direction they never foresaw. And in this case, he changes the question of who will be saved into the much more direct, will you be saved. Look how Jesus responds. It says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Uh, Jesus does not answer the question as good of a question as it might be for theologians to better about. How many will be saved? He doesn't go there. Instead, he gets to the much more urgent question that faces all of us. Will I be saved? Uh, he uses the image of a door, a narrow door, a door that's difficult to get through. Jesus describes it in such a way, it's a door that you have to strive to get through. Uh, the Greek underneath that is the word agonizomai. You can hear the same root, we get our word for agony in there. It describes intense effort. Uh, you can think about the sort of effort that you have to put out when you find a pair of jeans that's been hiding in the back of your closet for decades, and you try to squeeze into them. They're a little too narrow. You have to work really hard to get them on. It's like an endurance athlete. The final leg of a long marathon, trying to finish hard, sweating all the energy they have out so that they make it to the finish line. Jesus says you have to strive to enter into the kingdom. It's telling also that he says the reason for this is because the door itself is narrow. The door is the problem. It's difficult to get in because there's not a lot of room for error. There's not a lot of options, and the one option that is there requires all your effort to get through. Now, hauntingly, he describes there are some who will try and get through and won't make it. Maybe they went after the wrong door, or they didn't strive hard enough after the right one. But the end result is they will attempt to enter in, but won't be able to. And what is Jesus teaching from this? Well, one thing we need to answer at the beginning is a question many people have when they read this, is Jesus teaching something called salvation by works. That is that you enter into the kingdom of God or you are saved by a measure of your merit. You have to work hard enough. You have to pray enough prayers. You have to do enough rituals. You have to give enough of your money, whatever the measure. It's human effort that determines if someone ends up in the kingdom of God or someone ends up failing to enter in. I think Luke's gospel teaches very clearly that it cannot be what Jesus is teaching here. 
uh, Jesus will show himself to be the only basis for anyone to be able to enter into the kingdom of God or to be saved. Salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone. And yet, even if salvation isn't earned by anyone, nobody ever said the life of the saved is an easy one. You see, when Jesus saves us, he doesn't save us just to wander around and live life on our own terms. He saves us to walk a narrow path through a narrow door after him. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus, to be saved by him, by repentance and faith, but then to live a life walking after him. And what was his life like? It was one filled with difficulty and trial and suffering and rejection. So basic to being a Christian is that we will experience the same agonies and hardships. Uh, one of the applications we should surely draw from this is that we should not be shocked when the Christian faith and our Christian lives are difficult. Kids, listen in for a second here. Um, your parents are surely teaching you that you should obey and that when you do the right things that God will bless you more often than not. That's true. But that doesn't mean that being a Christian is easy. In fact, oftentimes being a Christian is much harder than not being a Christian. That's because we follow Jesus. Jesus endured suffering. He showed us what it was like to be faithful through all sorts of difficulties. And when we follow him on the narrow path through the narrow door, it will require spiritual sweat. It will require a sort of soul toughness and fortitude. And it will require the encouragement that only comes from other fellow travelers picking us up when we fall down and encouraging us and reminding us that we follow the one who will give us the grace we need to make it through that narrow door. So don't be shocked when it's difficult. Remember, this is what Jesus told us would happen. I think also there's a secondary application that living when and where we do that we need to hear. Uh, we live at a time where I would say the majority of the people that we interact with have pluralistic assumptions. That is, people might be okay with the fact that you're a Christian or that you're religious, but they might assume that that's because spirituality and religion are just personal preference. That there's lots and lots of different paths and lots and lots, lots of different doors and doesn't matter which one you pick, you'll end up in the same place. But Jesus doesn't give us room for that, does he? No, his warning is that there is one narrow way to one very narrow door, and that you will only enter the kingdom of God through that door, which is Jesus Christ himself. So just a, a word to those of us who are Christians today, you will be tempted to hedge on this exclusivity that Jesus so clearly teaches, but you must not. Don't be ashamed of what your Savior intentionally put in the Bible for you to hear. There's only one way to God, and it's through the narrow door that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus tells us that we must strive to enter through the narrow door. That's difficult enough. 
I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I have a, a difficult task, I have the temptation to procrastinate. I get an email filled with all sorts of administrative things that I sort of know how to do, but I don't really want to. And that's usually the last email I get to. I find a reason to do everything else except that difficult task. Now, we have a temptation spiritually to do the same thing. If it is agonizing to strive our way into the kingdom of God, we could put it off, which is why Jesus gives us the second warning this morning, the pressing urgency of entering the kingdom of God. This is not something that any of us can put off. A couple weeks ago, there was a deal at Costco, one of those door busters. It's a deal so good that you just have to get in the store and get it before they run out or the deal expires. Now, I go to Costco fairly regularly to get my gas from there. I like their slices of pepperoni pizza. I find excuses to go to Costco very regularly. But one afternoon, I realized I had not availed myself of this particular deal that I had promised someone I would avail myself of. Who shall remain nameless? <laughs> and so the doorbuster had the desired effect. I got in my car. I went to Costco. I made it in to make sure I got the deal before the window of opportunity closed. Hauntingly, Jesus is going to use an analogy, not positively to motivate us in, get the deal while you can, but negatively to say, if you don't go in now, the door will be shut in your face. In verse 25, Jesus starts an extended metaphor, one that is barbed and pointy, even offensive. When once the master of the house is risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. In this metaphor, Jesus is clearly the master of the house, and the house itself is clearly representing the kingdom of God. Uh, that kingdom has, has had its doors opened wide for some time. But then at a certain point, that master, Jesus, decides the window of opportunity is going to shut. That creaky door on its hinges is pushed forward until that opening is closed and it's locked and bolted. And from that point forward, no one can get inside. That's when the story gets really offensive. Because Jesus doesn't just imagine there's a group of unnamed people there. Now notice he says, then when you come knocking, the people around him, the crowds that are hearing him, Jesus warns, on that day, you will find yourself on the outside trying to get inside. 
Clearly, this is describing what Jesus has been teaching about for several chapters now, that coming day of judgment. Now, frankly, the details of this are haunting. The people are knocking and pleading for Jesus to let him in, and, and Jesus tells them, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Oh, then they'll tell Jesus all the reasons why there must be some mistake. We could work this out. I mean, we were around you, Jesus. We ate with you. We drank with you. We sat at table with you. We even heard you preach at your big rallies out in the street. Surely, Jesus, we will be on the inside. And Jesus says a second time, depart from me. I don't know where you come from. Get away from me, you workers of evil. They are fully and finally sent away. And then what comes next is frankly horrifying. They're sent to a place that's described as weeping, having gnashing of teeth in it. It's describing the horrors of hell. Uh, Weeping because of the missed opportunity and the sorrow with no more chance to repent. And gnashing of teeth because there is a rage against God for those who come under his judgment. And as this is happening to them, they see on the outside everyone else invited to the very party they assumed they would be welcome to. They see the prophets and the patriarchs sitting at the table of the kingdom of God and the punchline, they are shut out. Now, what is Jesus teaching with this? I think the most direct application is that you must not assume that just because you are around Jesus, that that is a substitute for actually being known by him. There's many people that grow up in churches. They have parents, been Christians their entire lives. They know the Bible inside and out. They go to things like Week of Wonder. They have t-shirts from church camps. They have a long list of tithes they've given. And yet, if there is no genuine saving relationship with Jesus Christ, being around Jesus will just be an occasion for the worst of all shocks, for one day realizing that they have missed their opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus teaches clearly what the rest of the Bible teaches, that you, you must have a saving relationship with Jesus if you are to enter into God's presence, if you are to be saved from the wrath of God to come. Jesus said it differently in John chapter 3. You must be born again to even see the kingdom of God. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have been around Christianity and Jesus for a long time, this is a warning specifically for you. No amount of being religious or doing rituals, uh, no amount of living a virtuous life will ever allow you to be welcomed into the kingdom of God to come. Now, the only way in is to be known by Jesus. That only happens through what he's been preaching for the last several chapters through repentance and faith. Friend, if you've been playing Christianity for some time, don't miss these horrific descriptions Jesus has put in the Bible for you this morning. While you have a chance, 
respond in faith. Because one day that door is going to swing shut and then it'll be too late. I think other applications that we can draw are to those of us who, as by the grace of God, have responded to Jesus in repentance and faith. We are known by Jesus that we need to be extra careful to be clear about the gospel message that saves against the sort of religion that people assume will one day allow them into the kingdom of God. And we as a church try our best to be extremely clear about the difference between religion and the gospel that saves. That's why each sermon, like you'll hear later in this sermon, at some point or the other, I try and connect all the dots clearly enough that if it's the first time you've ever heard anything, that you might be able to repent and find your way into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the other ways we do this as a church is through our membership process. Uh, we have a, a membership role we keep. And that's not because we're trying to be super exclusive or look down on anyone, but it's because we want to make sure we're extra clear on what actually is saving faith in Jesus and what is just being around him. Uh, that's why every one of our members who gets voted in has sat down and in their own words, describe their profession of faith and testimony of coming to be saved by Jesus. Our elders are not perfect in our discernment, but to the best of our ability, what we do is we just listen and we try to determine, has that person truly known and been known by Jesus or not? And if not, we don't want to give them false assurance. We don't want to tell them, congratulations, you're a Christian, when they've never, in fact, been known by Jesus. So often it seems as if there's something that they're missing or something they're not understanding, that's our opportunity to come alongside, to clarify, and to teach from the Bible, and to urge them to go through that narrow door while there's, there's still time. Jesus warns us that it's very possible to be fooled that we will be welcomed into the kingdom of God on judgment day. That means we need to be extra clear about what actually does save a person and make sure that we don't give people wrong reasons to be assured. I think finally, there's one last ap application, and surely it's our, for us to have urgency in our evangelism. If you take Jesus at his word, what he describes here is a horrible shock as well as a horrific outcome for any soul. I don't know about you, I don't want anyone to find their way to hell, assuming that they would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Uh, that's why we have to use the time and the opportunities that Jesus gives us to share the gospel clearly, and yes, at times even forcefully, with anyone that Jesus brings in our path. Maybe it'll be someone at Week of Wonder this week while you're serving, and you'll have the chance to sit there and take an extra minute or two to explain what it is to be known by Jesus and welcomed into the kingdom of God. Maybe it'll be someone at work or a family member or someone in your neighborhood. Instead of walking by, you stop and you take the opportunity just in case. Maybe this will be their moment to not miss out on making it into the kingdom of God. Now, of course, all of this, all of this ultimately is not due to our abilities or even our most sincere efforts. Only Jesus can save people. And yet we know that the way he does save people 
is through people like us sharing the good news of the gospel. So this week, be encouraged and be bold. Lead people to know and trust Jesus so they can enter in the narrow door while there's still time. Well, so far it's been very negative, but take heart. This last piece is very encouraging uh, because there is a group of people that shockingly enough do end up in the kingdom of God. A group of people that no one would have anticipated being there. That's our third and final point, the shocking diversity of those who make it into the kingdom of God, verses 29 through 30. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You'll forgive me for this illustration. Um, I don't show my fan allegiance as much, but I am a gigantic NBA, specifically a gigantic Miami Heat fan. So right now I'm pretty insufferable to be a friend with because the, the Heat and probably are in the NBA Finals. And I say that improbably for several reasons. They, they actually have people that work out the odds on this sort of thing, and the Heat were overwhelming on underdogs in every series to get here. So it's especially satisfying to see them make it to the finals. It's also improbable due to the players that the Heat have on their roster. Uh, one of the things, if you'll watch any of the games, you'll hear the announcers say over and over again, it's unbelievable how the Heat have made it to the finals with seven players that weren't even drafted. All of these undrafted players are on this team. Now, that's a way of saying this is a group with a bunch of nobodies, a group full of players that literally any team in the league could have had, but because of brilliance on the part of their coaching staff, the Heat have them. The Miami Heat, they're full of a bunch of nobodies. So it's basically all the more shocking that they would make it to the finals. Uh, there's a sort of similar dynamic to what Jesus describes positively as happening once you go through that narrow door into the kingdom of God. And once you strive your way through, you will behold a sight that no one would have seen coming. Uh, remember that assumption? the assumption that virtually all of us would make it in, there was a second part to that assumption. All of us will make it in, which means none of them will make it in. Now, the Jews back in that day had a very distinct in, uh, us versus them sort of dynamic, specifically coming about with those who belonged to the nation of Israel by blood and those who were on the outside a part of the nations those idolatrous pagans, worshiping their false gods, enemies of God's people, hating God, hating his people, surely virtually none of them will be there. But what does Jesus describe? Uh, you get inside and not only do you see the prophets and the patriarchs at this party, but you see a random assortment of people from all over the place. They're from the north and the south, from the east and from the west. They're people from everywhere expect, except the place you expect them to be from. The nobodies are sitting there enjoying this delightful banquet in the very kingdom of God. The whole thing's upside down. 
The people who have right to assume they'll be on the inside, they're shut out. Well, the people who have no reason to assume they would even be allowed to look through the window are sitting there yucking it up with Moses and Elijah in the kingdom of God. Jesus describes it in verse 30 with a very famous saying, often misquoted, misapplied at least. And behold, some are last who will be first, some are first who will be last. Uh, That saying is not a justification for youth pastors to have weird scoring systems to their games. It is a way of describing the unexpected identity of those who will be welcome in the kingdom of God. Now, this might be shocking to the people Jesus was speaking to, but it should not be shocking to those of us who are students of the Bible. Uh, We sang a song earlier, let the nations be glad from the Psalms, because salvation belongs to our God. I think the passage that Jesus is riffing on here more directly comes from Isaiah 25 and verse 6. Uh, It's on the screen behind me. You can study the passage more later on your own. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for, notice this, all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Coming at this last day is indeed a banquet that God will put on for those who are welcomed into the kingdom. And it will be for all kinds of people. Because Jesus is the Savior for all kinds of people. The nobodies. The people that are overlooked. The people with a past. The people with no reason to think that God would welcome them. Those are precisely the people that Jesus will welcome into the kingdom of God. Why is this? Well, it's because of the way that God has gone about bringing salvation to a world that doesn't deserve any of it. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian up until now, I've been talking a lot about how important it is to get into the kingdom of God. I just want to summarize for you the way that can actually happen for you this morning. Uh, According to the Bible... None of us should expect to be welcomed from, by God because by our living a life on our own terms, what the Bible calls sin, we have made God into our enemy and not our friend. That means if God were to give us what we deserve once our lives are over or once the world ends, it would not be to welcome us to his table. It would be to send us away and to punish us forever under his justice. The Bible says that no amount of doing good or living morally or trying your best to work off your debt can ever change that, that that narrow door will be impossible for anyone to walk through if you try and get there by your own effort. But the good news is that the God that will one day judge us is a God of love and mercy, which is why he sent this very man teaching these words, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus came to make it possible for sinners to enter through that narrow door. He did that by opening up a way through our sin and past the justice of God into fellowship with God by giving up his very own life. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself, allowing himself to be killed on a Roman cross 
And he did that so that he could absorb the punishment that our sins deserve. And all that means that if you do what Jesus says to do, that is to believe him and to repent of your sin, that Jesus will absorb the penalty for your sin and you'll be fully and finally forgiven. Even more than that, you'll enjoy what you were always made for, a forever life with God. The image used of a banquet where people are honored and enjoying the delights of God himself serving them, that is all to describe this loving, beautiful relationship that you will enjoy, like with all the others who put their faith in Christ. If you'll just make your way through the open door today and trust in Jesus yourself. Now, friend, you must hear, though, that this is a limited time offer. Each of us has a lifetime to make this decision. The trick is we don't know how long that life will go on. Either we'll die or the world will end. But one day that door will come slamming shut for each of us. So please hear Jesus' warning. Receive his words. Enter into the kingdom of God. Repent and trust in him to save your soul while there is time. Now, after the service, if you don't know how to do any of that or you have questions, I'll be available. Just look for someone with a name tag on if you can't find me. We would love to help you be known by Jesus and know for sure that you will be saved by him. You can leave here today knowing that. I think the final thing we should take from this is for all of us that are Christians who have come into this sort of loving relationship with Jesus is to never get over the wonder that people like us will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Not people that had no reason to expect that the door would be open for us. People that haven't earned a thing before God. The sort of people that no one would assume would be on the inside. Uh, We're told we're going to party with the patriarchs. We're told we're going to sit with the prophets. You'll say to Moses, pass the mashed potatoes. Because you've been welcomed into the kingdom through the King Jesus. As your mind thinks about that and as your heart dwells on it, what should you do? I think you should just respond with gratitude. Just the simple and yet profound response of saying, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. I didn't deserve this. Jesus, thank you. I never would have strived hard enough myself. Jesus, thank you. That's a blessing so much better than I ever could have hoped or expected. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that it doesn't rest on me. But thank you that it rests wholly on you. Brothers and sisters, don't miss out on making it into the kingdom of God. This is one mistake that none of us can afford to make. Enter in while there's time. Enter in through Jesus Christ, knowing you are welcome and that the delights of your God await you forever. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, Jesus. 
thank you for being the savior that we so desperately need. None of us live a life that is good enough for you, Jesus, and yet by your grace, you take those who are your enemies and you draw us near. Thank you for calling us your beloved sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters. Thank you for making us into a people fit for your service as a, a priesthood to serve in your holy temple. And thank you that our best days lie ahead of us, no matter how hard and agonizing it might be, that we can look forward to the delights of that day when we are seated with the patriarchs and the prophets and enjoy that party for the ages when our hearts are filled by you and by your plenty. Uh, Jesus, would you help our hearts now to respond with that simple yet profound response of gratitude? Would we say, Jesus, thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.